0: Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about asset protection uh, because I think it's one of those things that investors really sort of think about and the ones that, that do think about it, in my experience, tend to overthink it and therefore um, either take very expensive advice and overcomplicate their situation. In fact over the last uh, few weeks I've met a couple of people that have paid a lot of money to either lawyers and accountants uh, that have then set up this really convoluted structure to protect their assets uh, where in fact I think their asset protection risk is relatively low. Uh, meanwhile uh, they've spent you know 5000 or more dollars in terms of fees uh, in order to do that. So my first tip with respect to asset protection is when getting advice get it from someone that doesn't have a vested interest in the advice outcome. Uh, So typically that's an independent financial planner because independent financial planners don't typically set up structures like trusts and so forth um, and they don't obviously offer legal services. So they don't have any vested interest whether you um, should set up lots of different structures and so forth and therefore they're independent and they can help you sort of understand what are your asset protection risks um, and how important is it to to do certain things, or you know, how 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 much of a step do you take to really protect your assets? So in this podcast, what I'd like to do is outline the four um, typical asset protection risks and then what to to do to mitigate them. Okay, so asset protection risk number one is if you're self-employed. If you're self-employed, you're you're, you're sometimes going to be exposed to risks that are different than um, what employees are exposed to naturally. So the first thing that you need to think about is what if you get sued? Uh, And uh, so there's two things that you need to do about that. Uh, Firstly, you need to have a business structure that's limited in liability, so typically that's a company, and you'd then typically have the shares in that company owned by a discretionary family trust. Um, For for example, then you might have a further company underneath that. But essentially what you want to do is if you get sued, then the assets of the business are only at risk, not your personal assets. Uh, The second thing you need to do is make sure that you've got the right insurances in place, business insurances in place. And that, that could be public liability, product liability, warranty insurance, business interruption, work cover insurance, professional indemnity, public liability, All those sorts of things. Now, you don't necessarily need all of them, but speaking to a good business broker will help you understand what are the key insurances that you need. Uh, So that's the first step, right structure, right insurances. The second step is to understand what are the two key risks that directors of a business can be held personally liable for. And typically, there's only two. The first one is trading while insolvent. So that is, if you're deemed insolvent and you keep trading, a director can be held personally liable for that. And then not maintaining a safe workplace. So um, again, if if uh, you're in a business that uh, has a, a riskier workplace, you know maybe manufacturing, construction, those sorts of things, uh, you really want to make sure that your business is doing and taking all the necessary steps to protect yourself from those risks. But apart from that have the right structure insurance, uh, your asset protection risks are are relatively low. The second asset protection risk category is occupational risk. So obviously some occupations carry higher risks than others. Obstetrics is a, a, a good example of that because obviously whilst practicing obstetrics, you know, if you make a mistake or an error, you know, it could cost or result in a, in a lost life. So it's pretty significant, um, as opposed to a, you know, a mistake at a, um, as a, a checkout person at a, um, a supermarket. Those jobs still exist. <laughs> you know, you make a mistake, it's, it's not such a, a great deal. Um, When looking at riskier occupations, we need to understand that professional indemnity insurance, particularly in Australia, has very deep cover. And there's restrictions in terms of legal liability in relation to professional matters as well. So therefore, you don't get the same sort of Litigious approach that you would in other countries like the US in respect to these matters, and the experience of personal loss as a result of an action. Um, so, personal loss outside of the professional indemnity insurer paying for any losses um, is very, very limited. There's, there's, there's very few cases, and and um, those the the amounts of loss are, are very small. It's a- actually probably only really relevant where. Um, uh, you know, for, for example, a insurer wants to settle a case, um, but you don't, you know, they want to settle a case to, to make it go away. But from a professional reputational perspective, you don't want to settle it. And maybe then you take on the legal costs in that situation. Potentially, uh, you're personally liable for that, but that's, that's far reaching. Uh, so the only action or the main action that professional indemnity insurance won't cover is if you're criminally negligent. Well, you know, most of us go to work and, and we, um, uh, do a, a good professional job, so I don't think we need to worry about criminal negligence. The fourth asset protection risk is is being a property investor, and so that would uh, occur when a tenant or their guests suffer an injury whilst attending one of your properties. Um, and also then think about the types of properties that you're investing in as well, you know, uh, very high or unsafe uh, balconies for, for children, properties with pools. I'd, I'd never buy an investment property with a pool. Um, I think these exhibit higher higher risk. But landlord insurance uh, will help you uh, protect against that. It provides public liability cover, damage caused by uh, tenants, loss of rent, legal fees and, and so on. So having good quality landlord insurance is a good way to mitigate that risk. And then the last risk is, is really statistically probably your highest or most concerning risk. Um, and unfortunately, there's probably not much you can do about it, and that is relationship breakdowns. And so, in Australia, about one third of marriages end in divorce. So, again, statistically, for a lot of uh, my clients, it's going to be a, a significant risk. So, whether you're married or in a de facto relationship is um, depends on on the circumstances. Particularly, obviously, from a de facto definition perspective, but things that they're going to consider, or the court will consider, is really the length of the relationship. Whether you're um cohabitating, living together, uh the sharing of household chores, you know, contributions to the household, amalgamation of finances, any existence of children, common friends, sharing pastimes, all those sorts of things. So really whether you're living a, a together life or, or two separate lives. Um so you need to be very careful about um that fact that you might actually find yourself in a de facto relationship before you expect to but expect that to happen. So what can you do to mitigate that risk? Well, a binding financial agreement is a, is a good place to start. And that's really just an agreement that if the relationship was to dissolve in the future, um, what financial entitlements will we have? And working these things out or having a clear expectation at the beginning of a relationship um, is, a, is a great way to make, in the event, unlikely or unfortunate event, that your relationship doesn't um, prosper and continue, uh, then it it makes it easier in terms of unwinding that. In the show notes, I've got a link to a um, one of uh, a program on SBS called Insight. They aired an episode recently about binding financial agreements, and they interviewed lots of lawyers and couples that have and not had decide to have them and not not have them, and they discussed a lot of the legal and practical issues with them. So it really interesting. I've got that link in the in the show notes. Um, so that's, that's all you can really do, uh, I guess, to protect your assets. Then in, in the event of a relationship breakdown, I guess the only other thing that you can do is make an agreement at the outset that if we were to go through that, that you commit to a, a different process of resolving a, a relationship breakdown dispute. And, and that could be something like collaborative law. So, you know, the, the legal system was designed about a thousand years ago and it was designed mainly to resolve commercial disputes. And the legal system hasn't really changed a lot over that period of time. Um, so it's not really designed to deal with family law matters or family matters. Um, and it actually um, sometimes exacerbates uh, problem it creates arguments, extends arguments, and so forth, and, and aggravates uh, the two individuals involved. And so, collaborative law is something that's becoming uh, more popular, and you can get um, legal practitioners that practice in collaborative law. And essentially, the aim is to um, mediate a solution. Uh, sitting around all, all everyone's sitting around a table and just mediate and nut out a solution that everyone's happy with, as opposed to going to court, swapping documents, um, communicating by letter, those sorts of things. They they typically don't. They they tend to aggravate the situation rather, rather than break it down. So one thing that you could po- possibly do at the beginning of a relationship is to say, look, if it if it if it doesn't work out, let's both agree to um, enter into the, a collaborative law solution and um and maybe that might help you in the in the future. So asset protections um obviously a really important uh, asset aspect to consider. And really there's you know a full financial plan or holistic financial plan should consider lots of things including and the main ones are really cash flow, investment strategy, asset selection, asset protection, risk management, insurances and then wills and estate planning. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean you need uh, very comprehensive solutions in all those aspects but what you need to do is tick that box you need to think about those sorts of things so i think um talking about asset protection demonstrates really the benefit of of receiving holistic advice to make sure that you know that there's nothing missed and i would say most people don't have very high asset protection risks but they're are a couple of small key things that they need to do to, to mitigate some of those risks. Um, and the, the podcast today has sort of touched on them. So as always, there's more information in the, in the show notes and a link to the blog on our website. Um, so certainly have a look at that. And, um, and if you need any help, you know where we are. Uh, And the final thing I'll say is, uh, again, if you're enjoying these uh, podcasts, please do jump on iTunes and and, uh, rate it. It certainly helps us with our ranking and uh, helps people uh, work out if it's going to be good for them as well. So the more people that listen in, the merrier we are. Okay, until next week, bye for now.